found gold to and the opportunity is still finding technology as an opportunity and people are just willing to take that risk and to try it out and also maybe not succeed in some cases. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind, Machines and the Great Descent. Thanks for tuning in. That means the world to us. We are Vera and Uli, and we are the moderators of today's podcast. Enough said. Let's dive right into it. We are more than happy to have Mareike with us today. Mareike, maybe as a kickstart, thanks for joining and tuning in here with us. If you would have one minute, you know, to describe a bit, you know, what do you do? Who is Mareike for the audience? Can you a bit of explain who you are, where you come from? Yes. Thank you very much for having me and letting me be part of this podcast. My name is Mareike Kritzler and I'm now heading the Artificial and Human Intelligence Group in Berkeley, California. And what we want to do with our research and our team is to keep the human in the loop. And for example, give a grid operator or someone who has a lot of information available, the tools and the best knowledge about what's going on so that the human in the end can make the right decision. So for our research, it's really important that we do not replace a human, but that we help a human to come to the best decision during their work. That sounds really interesting. But one step before, which song or band would you say would be the soundtrack of the last couple of weeks? I am listening to the radio a lot because I do not need to use internet bandwidth for that. And it's all stuck in a loop. But right now, it's, I think, on top of the list is The weekend with blinding lights. It's a little bit retro 80s, and that makes me feel happy and it makes me feel ready for the day to start uh, new ventures. Uh, that's a nevertheless challenging time, huh? The COVID pandemic, right? You, you're currently in US, right? How do, how do you experience this, this situation currently? Is that you're sitting, how do you cope? And also with your team, how do you get engaged? How do you get up? And they're like, oh, I'm moving from the bat to the desk, from the desk to the bat? Or, you know, what keeps you motivated for having that? And what's the situation like? Yeah, so the, the situation for us in California, in the Bay Area, is actually pretty good. Our local city leaders, they early on saw what could happen, and they all ordered us to shelter in place. This is what they asked us to do, and this is what we are doing. We started just the fourth week of that. So for three weeks, we were all in our homes. There was no interaction with the team physically anymore. We do not go to the office anymore. And what we started to do early on on day one is say, okay, we are a team and we need to function as a team. What can we do to stay connected? And also what you said, get out of bed in the morning. Every morning at 9 a.m., we meet online on Circuit or on, on um, Teams and we just chat. We just pretend that we are in our coffee kitchen. So we talk about our weekend activities, which are mostly very limited, but we also learn more about the animals of our co-workers that show up, squirrels and deers and birds. So we just try to have a little bit of routine and we just shifted it online. And I can just reiterate, the radio for me is a great way to get up in the morning and kickstart and to move quickly out of bed to the desk, but also don't forget breakfast. As you are now leading the research group in Berkeley, US, what brought you to join corporate research? That is a good question. So I spent a lot of time in research back in the day when I did my studies in Germany. 
And I was always curious to try out things and to learn things. And then I did a, a brief excursion into a corporate world and, and did augmented reality for a while. But I saw that in this world, I cannot really find much meaning. It was really driven by marketing ideas, by having just sales and making money. And it was just not clear what could we actually do in the bigger picture. And when this opportunity came up that I could go back to research and research for something which is a little bit more narrow than the university, I was really intrigued. And I started to work at Siemens. Now it's, I don't know, six years ago or so. And I'm really happy that we can now see research being applied for things that most of us don't even know need much research because we take things for granted. The munis in San Francisco, for example, that the trains, the tram lines, it's made by Siemens now. And it's really cool. And, it, and I'll be proud that we can see this product in front of our eyes. And it's great to be part of, of a team that can enable mobility and that can enable things that, that are so hidden in the different layers before they are on our shelves. I think one of the aspects you're also researching is an aspect of what I guess called digital companion, right? Can you explain to the audience a bit what is a digital companion and what kind of applications are out and inside maybe the corporation? Yes. So, you know, that marketing and branding is important and sometimes we just have to rebrand things. But I think the digital companion, we found a nice way to explain to people that we want to use technology to help and to support. And for us, the digital companion is, is um, an umbrella frame for using technologies such as machine learning, or we can call it AI, and semantic technologies, which allows us to put meaning into data. So we want to use or transform data that maybe a machine produced into an information that is then actionable for the human. If I tell you, 32, you don't know what I mean by that. But if I tell you 32 is a temperature that I measured in Celsius, then you know as the human, as the last step, oh, it's really warm and sunny in California. So we really want to use the digital companion as the transport vehicle to communicate better between a machine and maybe the artificial intelligence and the human. We came up with the classification of three different areas for the digital companion. So the one is a guardian, a digital companion, for example, being a mobile watch or a mobile device that goes around with you and that can check if you were your personal protective equipment. If you go welding, for example, we did some research about that, adding Bluetooth, and then the companion tells you, oh, my God, you want to go to a welding station, you need to wear your visor. Then we have a digital companion, which is more the assistant part, something that just gives you all the information and data, and it's more like a dashboard. It could be a 2D dashboard on a computer screen. It could be a cool augmented reality dashboard that just helps you to digest all of this information. And then the third part, we see Digital Companion being really the mentor, someone that helps you to understand a process that you haven't had before. For example, you can think in a factory, 
you have your workforce and you want to train the workforce and you don't want to explain over and over how to assemble a little industrial computer, you could use an augmented reality headset that shows you step-by-step how to do this. And at the same time, computer vision can detect if you did the thing right or wrong and then help you and learn while you work on this problem. So a second field is that um, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality have a go, you know, quite some hype, isn't it, right? And sometimes, um, and you, yeah, you are very much a professional in these areas, right? Can you share with the audience, you know, what's the difference um, between both? And do you have both maybe different uh, hype cycles attached to that or implications also to the business? So this is how I started my, my work at Siemens with augmented reality. And what it means is that I see the real world as is. I, I look at my computer, I look at my phone, and now I have means, like uh, maybe a head-mounted display or a tablet that helps me to look through that, and I can give any human like Superman-like capabilities. So I can see things that are not really there on a digital display. In the world of augmented reality, I can attach a little virtual or digital figurine that jumps on my desk. I think Google Chrome for most of the Android devices, when you Google tiger or dog, they allow you to place the 3D object in your bedroom or a horse so you can envision you know, what a horse would look like in your hallway. Or IKEA, they made um, an app where you can see the virtual furniture in your bedroom or living room by using your phone or a head-mounted display like a HoloLens. So we always have the connection between the real world and a virtual digital world. If we look into a virtual reality, we do not see anything out in the real world anymore. We step back, we're in a completely computer-generated environment, mostly popular for gaming applications. But also for us, when we look at Siemens, virtual reality we can use for training applications, for simulation applications, or if you have really big pieces of equipment, you can walk inside, you can inspect, you kind of lose the connection to the real world and you are in something that's not really there. That sounds really scary for me. Can you say something about like how to overcome this feeling of being afraid when you hear something about VR and AR? Personally, I'm a bigger fan of augmented reality because mm -hmm. I think this is really, it's, it's cool and it's something that can really help us. Imagine you have an invention like a contact lens that you can put in your eye and now you have the ability to see all the augmentations in the world. You are someone, you're a handyman. If you come to my house, I ask you to mount the television and you can already see with your AR contact lenses where all the cables are in the background. It will be much safer for you. I will be happy that you don't accidentally trip my electricity. So you have more skills and you have something that really can help you to navigate your, your daily business and routine. For virtual reality, when I say you lose your reality, I think it's mostly really for people that want to do this while playing games. You know, you can really immerse yourself into a world that's not there. It's like your second life. You can, you know, be, be the princess in the Disney world, but you can be the warrior on your, your fields. But at some point, you need to be aware that this is not real, right? 
And I think virtual reality to really use it for our purposes or for Siemens or for manufacturing or for industrial applications, you will go into this world on much smaller terms and you will not just be thrown in this alone. There is some research also to connect other people in there so that you maybe have a mentor with you. So you have the real person as an anchor point so you don't get lost in a virtual world. Pretty awesome, right? It's kind of a, a great scene and also quite hype, right? Speaking of hype, how about the hype on AI, right? I think there's, you know, many directions and many motivations. And if you, you know, look at the research, but if you look at that on the public press, you know, you have this all different realms, inspirations of, you know, movies, AI taking over the world or, you know, or statistics or automation on steroids, you know. What's your view? Is AI a solution or the problem? Is it the opportunity or is it actually a challenge uh, towards the digital transformation of people and, and the productivation? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I mean, if we look back how humanity and society evolved, so it's evolving, we, we want to do more and we want to do things. We want to have digitalization, we want to have technology. That's fine. And there are real problems that we want to solve. There, there is a problem of, oh, I know my my combustion engine is going to break. Maybe I can have computer-supported algorithms that help me to find out before this happens. So this is what then it's called AI will be the solution. It will help you to predict the future for this machine. But of course, we are so tainted by all what you mentioned, the, the, the fiction, the movies we see. And we think, oh my God, AI is equals robots that one day are going to take over and develop a mind on for themselves and they're going to erase humanity, right? So I think it's important just to see that there is no general answer and we have to look domain to domain and problem to problem. When we think about, we talked about coronavirus and COVID, we want to find a vaccine, we want to understand the problem. Now, if we can put a lot of computational power on that, we will be much faster to simulate, we will be much faster to predict Will it help if we stay inside? Will we be able to flatten the curve? And there, AI or machine learning is definitely a solution and is a big stepping stone to help us to find out what the right things are that we should do. AI is, you know, in the ecosystem in the US, you know, is something special. Why is it special? Or would you say, like, is the Asian region, uh, the new Silicon Valley? Well, what makes the ecosystem in, in the US so special? And how do you perceive the, sh you know, the move and aspirations of other countries and continents actually towards the use of, uh, of AI technology? Yeah, again, I'm really biased, right? I live in the heart of Silicon Valley, and we can just see how technology is right here. You go to the movie theater, there's a robot serving your coffee. You go to downtown, there's a restaurant, a robot makes your burger. So we can see all this technology in use, and here people are not afraid of taking these risks and just trying it out. So you can see a lot of startups, you can see a lot of open-minded people just trying it out, and you can see the self-driving cars, you can see all this in action, and I think this makes this part of the world so special that people are willing to take also sometimes their own money and just do it. 
And I know that there's a lot of other hotspots and places where you have startups, we have you know, in different places of the world. Seen that, but this is still the heart. I don't know why it's probably as we found gold here and the opportunity is still finding technology as an opportunity and people are just willing to take that risk and to try it out and also maybe not succeed in some cases. You are surrounded by the most innovative environment worldwide, but maybe there is something that even surprised you the last years. So is there a major breakthrough or mind-blowing event in AI the last years? So yeah, I was thinking about this for a little while, but for me, it's still it's a self-driving car. I think that's, I mean, it's so, for me, it's so close that we would do that. But if this becomes our everyday reality, there will be no more drunk driving. There will be no more destructive driving. There will be no more, oh my God, I have to rush to work and I will be speeding. And seeing this year in action, we have cruise cars, we have waste cars, there are zoos. There are so many companies trying it out here and we can see it every day. And we also can see how it does not work quite yet. But this is really cool to see all this technology. You have all the vision systems trying to observe the environment, making sure what is an obstacle, what is not an obstacle. And, and this for me is really cool to see. And I think that could be a real game changer for us in society as well. Any, any bad flying car before an uh, autonomous car or is the car on the streets before the flying car? What's, what's your bet? <laughs> I hope. That we will not go and fly because I think that will be a disaster for all of us. Uh, <laughs> they will just be zooming around and then they will fall off the sky. I, I put my bed on the self-driving autonomous car on the street. So you did, coming and put it back onto your roots, you did your PhD in Munster, right? In geoinformatics, right? Yes. Um, so um, that brings also a bit of the bridge, right? So coming from, you know, doing the PhD in, in, in geo, in the domain, right? Then moving towards virtual uh, reality and mixed reality, making applications and having impact on research, on computer science and machine learning and AI side, right? If you spawn then that, you know, what is, what is your stack on, you know, the role of AI in sustainability is that is that also something you drive with the lab maybe or with the group Are you have any sharings and ideas to to tell here so what we did actually really recently and we still keep doing this is looking into climate change because you I, i'm sure you have heard of that i mean we are in the heart of the silicon valley but last summer or last fall our energy provider turned off the electricity Can you imagine how that feels to us, right? You want to be online, your computer, anything. They turn off the electricity to prevent wildfires. And this is something that makes us think like, this is not sustainable. This is not scalable. This is just not a solution. So we started to look into all the data that is available publicly at first in the world of Uh, electricity lines and in the terms of where is the potential for wildfire zones, of course. So we actually built a map application where we could overlay different data sets so that we could use then also machine learning to predict 
what areas will be the ones that are more likely for wildfires? What areas will be the ones that are more suitable for a microgrid so we don't have to sit here in the dark? So this is something that we do. Maybe it's really selfish for us, but this is so close. We, we don't want to sit in the dark and we do not want these wildfires, which were really devastating and also cost many lives. But this was our motivation to go look what can we do with our means that we have to uh, go one step further into pre prevention. If you uh, a couple of sentence starter phrases and you will finish. Is that okay? Purpose is... Purpose is something that we all should think about and hopefully we can find it because this will make it much easier for you to also do your work. And if you have a purpose during your work life, you will be much more motivated and you also will find others that share this purpose and common goals. And this is what we did also for our entrepreneurial stepping grounds that we did at Siemens. And it's a really powerful tool to bring people together. My personal moonshot is. My personal moonshot. I'm not even thinking that far, far to the moon. If I would have all of the resources in, in the world and, and all the team, I would just want to go back to see what we can do to save this planet. What can we do to have clean oceans, to not kill our wildlife, not to kill our species in the ocean? Uh, so this, I think, I would like to be able to be more sustainable and environmentally friendly. Maraki, thanks so much. We are really we're very much honored to have such a bright and competent and, and magnificent and, and nice and, um, you know, colleague with us with, that you share a couple of minutes of your valuable time with us for, and with the audience for this podcast. Uh, folks out there, stay tuned. There is so much more to come. Uh, stay bold, committed, and open-minded your Siemens AI team. Thanks.